Welcome to Advancing the Art of Aging. I'm Carol Silver Elliott, President and CEO of the Jewish Home Family, a continuum of services for older adults located in northern Bergen County, New Jersey. Today, I have the great pleasure of having Don Schulman with us. Don is the President and CEO of the Association of Jewish Aging Services. And Don is going to talk with us a little bit about the association and also the role the association has played during this challenging year of COVID-19. Don, welcome. Thanks, Carol. It's great to be with you this afternoon. Thanks for having me. um, Our pleasure, absolutely. Don, for those people who may not know, tell us what AJAS, the Association of Jewish Aging Services, is. Certainly. Um, we're, we're in association, a group of uh, just uh, under 100 Jewish-sponsored long-term care and senior communities throughout North America. We've been around uh, 61 years, and um, we serve over 200,000 um, of our seniors every day, uh, both Jewish and non-Jewish. And um, we are known for many things, including obviously our great care, a lot of the work we do in, in research institutes, as well as our work with um, elders and elder abuse and elder safe shelters uh, throughout the country. That's great. So the association is really a place that brings the Jewish sponsored organizations together. Correct. We are really. Um, uh, a good family, a good community for each other, and um, somewhere where all of us can turn to when times such as what we are currently going through come about, um, as well as times when we just need uh, good advice and to share good suggestions, innovations, and ideas. That's great. So this was, as you have said, a really difficult year, a, a year that was entirely unexpected in so many ways. Tell me about your role as the president and CEO of the association. How did this evolve for you, the recognition of what was going on, as well as the, the recognition of a role that the association could play? Certainly. You know, clearly back in March, um, we all know what happened, and we are all faced with the beginnings of this pandemic, which we just had very little information, and it was very um, uh, certainly a crisis-centered observation and operation. What we were able to do, and I think it was important because I looked at our, our role as an association um, in the leadership capacity of how can I maintain relevancy to my members? What can I do that will be of value to them during this time? We were able to partner with two great partners, Jewish Federations of North America and Jewish Child and Family Services to form a consortium where we were able to purchase um, over $5 million worth of PPE for our communities at a time when PPE was very scarce and was very difficult to get. But through the help of uh, different philanthropists in the United States, we were able to um, find the supplies, get them out of China, and um, have them staged for us in our own Um, warehouse down in in Texas, where we were then able to distribute to our communities as they needed them. And certainly, um, while things 
don't always go perfectly smoothly with that, we still were able to pass along a great deal of equipment and supplies at a very difficult time. And that really took place between um, April and July into August. Um, once we became, once we got into the summer months a little bit more, uh, we really worked with our two partner agencies to secondly form a crowdfunding opportunity and in working with a lot of philanthropists, Jewish philanthropists around the country, we were able to raise over a million dollars, actually about $1.2 million, that we basically turned around and gave back to the communities to help offset the cost of all the supplies that they had, had spent money on, you know, in addition to the extra cost of labor and the decreased revenue from decreased admissions. So, I really felt pretty good about our role and what we were trying to do. Not only were we trying to protect and save lives in our communities, but we were also helping to ease the financial burden just a little bit for our members. And really, that's what an association should do, is measure itself against the relevancy of how it can be of value to its members and, and, uh, and leadership. For sure. So it was a pretty interesting month, a few months. You know, it's interesting, Don. I'm listening to you talk about the elaborate process that it took with the PPE, which is no small thing to get PPE out into this country and staged and warehoused. And, you know, someone listening could think, whoa, he must have this, you know, staff that are managing all these details because pulling off something like this is a really complex thing. But I know better. You don't have much staff to deal with. You were largely doing a lot of this single-handedly. Tell me how you manage that. Well, you know, correct. Our our glass-enclosed nerve center includes three people. And, um, you know, we just kind of rolled up our sleeves. It was literally a seven-day-a-week operation. We were, you know, I, I was on the phone every day, all day, all night. And um, as I like to joke, I, I kind of became the Radar O'Reilly of Asha during that time in trying to get PPE for, for our community. So that was, that was our job. That was our role um, that we had to do, and everything else really became secondary. That was the major need of our members, and that was really the course of our action. So it really drove our time and uh, became the priority of the day. I have to tell you, Don, it was such an incredibly impressive undertaking. And I think, you know, what what we can't fail to recognize in all of this, that it's not about PPE. It's about saving lives because PPE made the difference between illness and health and contagion and containment. And having that PPE when it was impossible to find was so extraordinarily important. I don't know if anybody who works outside of our industry had a real grasp on just how difficult it was to get PPE. I'm sure that you had members calling in a panic. I know we were in a panic at points in time, and we had colleagues in a panic. You were, you were yep, fielding absolutely. that, too. We had a community in uh, New York that said, Don, I, I have enough gowns to get me to Monday night. And I knew our Seattle community had a good inventory, so I called them, had them Federal Express 1,900 gowns to New York, and then when the New York order came in, had that shipped back to Seattle. So we did that on a number of occasions, and you know, 
everybody became the, the, the source for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's one thing we were able to do, you know, obviously very successfully. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to get a lot of our equipment out of China before the Communist Party uh, took over production and distribution. And, um, you know, it, it, it became very, very difficult, as we all know. So um, it was um, it was it was a challenging several months. Yeah. on our end as well as I know for everybody. Uh, for sure, in every respect. I think Correct. you also, as an association leader, played a role in sort of keeping people calm and helping them feel supported. I am certain that you had members calling you f with heavy emotional um, upset around the feeling that we all had, you know, that the sky was literally falling. How did you manage that? I think, you know, I, I like to think, yes, I did. I had a lot of members who would call. Um, I mean, when, when you're losing people, and, and um, it, it's painful. You know, as an administrator who cares so much about their their residents, it, it's just a, it's an awful thing to experience, which none of us have really ever experienced before. And, and Carol, the, the, I think the way we did it, the way I did it is, I, I really just looked at it, you know, I'm going to do this one community, one CEO at a time, and just focus on the person who I was with that day. And if I hadn't heard from them, just making a phone call or sending an email, touching base, how are you doing here to chat? And I got a lot of phone calls because oftentimes, even though we're separated by distance, we're certainly not separated by mission. And I think it's important that everybody understand that they're not in this alone, that people are going through a lot of different emotions and a lot of different tragedies but in a sense we're all going through some very similar things for sure and you know there were many of us who at certain moments needed tremendous support i i know that the sense of loss the sense as i've often said of failure at our inability to keep people safe and well was crushing at certain points in time and to have you as that voice of reassurance I think was immeasurably important to people. Thank you. You know we were able as I know you were involved with our happy hours um, we actually started these before I think they became prominent throughout the, throughout the industry and the world but you know getting our staff together on a Zoom call and just to be able to share and get things off their chest and hear that they're not the only one going through this. I mean, the psychological toll it's taken on our leadership, I really don't think it's even been properly evaluated or, or accumulated at this point. I think there's still more to come and more to learn. And then, you know, how will that, how will that impact the longevity of tenure and turnover? And it, it, I mean, there's just so many questions to be answered yet. But For sure. It's a difficult time. So, Don, you know, you, you repositioned the association to meet needs. You continued to be proactive. But the repositioning and the change in the way the world is right now also impacted the association. Can you talk about that? Well, the, the um, association really needed to look at how we were going to emerge as everyone is looking at through this. And, and how can we be continually, how can we be a value? And the term I use is relevant value. What's important to my members? 
and how can we position ourselves as an association. And, you know, it's not about strategy right now because strategy is something that oftentimes is determined by past practice. It's more about, you know, what is the scenario going to look like when we come out of this? And then, you know, what's that picture going to look like and how do we move forward? I, I did, you know, one thing that we all took advantage of in, in the instances of telehealth and telemedicine really began to grow during um, during the pandemic. And, you know, where in the past five or ten years, the, the incidence of seniors using telemedicine was quoted as 16%. During the pandemic, that number rose to 59%. Wow. So truly a statistically, statistically significant difference. So what I was able to do was reach out to a number of foundations, do some grant writing, and we were able to bring in a million-dollar grant for our members to help them invest more into the telehealth platforms and technology platforms in the areas of not only medical and social, so we have the medical piece of it and the social piece to reach isolation, but also the, 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 clerical, the, the clergy uh, spiritual piece of it because I think that's something that we sometimes forget about, but the spiritual piece of telemedicine is something that can be very comforting and warming to someone who is isolated, to an older person. So we're happy to do that. We've gotten some great applications, and um, they're actually going back to the uh, donor on Friday for consideration of the awards. So um, I think that's really what we're looking to do. So going forward from the association perspective, you know, in your crystal ball, what do you see? Gosh, it's hard to see. It's hard to say. I see communities that will need to reposition, and maybe they needed to reposition all along, but as we know, the pandemic has accelerated that. Um, I see probably some consolidation of some communities, Um, but I also see it as a wake-up call that we need to really um, invest in our infrastructure, listen to our customers, and understand how their needs and desires may have changed as a result of this. And also, I think what's very important, especially in the skilled nursing world, is how do we re-message ourselves? How do we rebrand ourselves so that people will come back to us? Regardless of, of all the home care you have, all the home and community-based services you provide, in my mind, there will still always be a need for skilled nursing and for nursing homes, and we have to develop the best message to let people know that we are excellent providers, we take good care of your fathers and mothers, and that we are here to serve them. And that message needs to change and needs to be advanced secondary to um, to the pandemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's been such demonization, particularly of nursing homes in the media in in the recent months. And I think repackaging, repurposing, rebranding, and changing the negative image is probably the most critical thing that we as an industry will need to work on in, in the years ahead. Exactly. You're exactly right. Um, it's just something that I think we've needed to do for a while, but as with so many other issues, the pandemic has certainly accelerated the energies that we'll need to surround this this topic, and I think that will be a, a really a big determinant for, for our success and um, something we should do, we have to do. Absolutely. 
Don, the association is so very fortunate to have you as its leader, and I am fortunate to have been working with you from the minute you started there. Thank you for everything you do, and thank you so much for being you and being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Carol, and thank you for everything you do in, in your wonderful community and you know how they just live our mission of loving our fathers and mothers. Um, so my thanks goes back to you as well. Thank you. Be well. You too. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. All of the children rise. Elders with wisdom rise. Ancestors surround us. Rise.